Welcome back to Riding Off the Deep End. I'm Jeffrey Edwards. And I'm Mary Thaler. And today we're talking about historical fiction, about writing about the past. So you started out writing science fiction and then just recently you took on a historical fiction project. Did you notice it was different? The science fiction that I write is from the perspective of the very far future, looking back on Mm -hmm. its past. So in a way, my science fiction is historical. So it wasn't that large a step to go from science fiction in that sense to something more directly historical. You were already writing the history of the future. Yes. And, And the other thing is that the story that I was writing in the science fiction is very much a story about the classic theme of good versus evil and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I got to thinking that it was interesting to explore this in the science fiction realm, but why not look at a real life version where these things come into play? And that led me naturally to look at the Second World War. So in a way, it was the same impulse that led me to write the science fiction stories that led me to write the historical stories. So. What I'm hearing is that there's two elements of this that maybe we can separate out, that there's a certain tone or attitude that characterizes historical fiction that you were already doing in your far future story. Now, of course, though, the big difference is that you made up that history, whereas now that you're starting to play with our history, suddenly you're constrained by... Real-life events, yes. So, obviously, I did research for the science fiction But the research in a historical context means digging through source material and Mm -hmm. uh, reading about or visiting places or whatever. So, you know, giving that edge of the reality to the writing, right? Would you say that that's been more of a, a challenge or a joy? Oh, I love it. You know, we've talked about research before. I love doing research. And I actually did visit places that became important scenes in my books. So I also enjoy that, going out and, you know, getting this sense of place uh, as well. What kind of resources were you able to find when you started doing historical research? Okay, so I was interested in the Second World War. So I read a ton of books, actually. I was interested in individuals or groups that helped refugees, Jewish people escape from the Nazis. And I was particularly interested in what motivations they might have. Although, of course, the source material doesn't talk a lot about motivations. You know, you have uh, memoirs written by people where they do talk about those things. But in general, it's a characteristic of the rescuers that they don't talk a lot about why they did things. They just lay out what they did. And and it's part of the mystery Mm -hmm. about what uh, led the rescuers into this kind of action that they don't talk about it. And then the other group are the collaborators that I was interested in. Of course, there again, the source material has almost nothing to say, except very accusatory things. But I mean, nobody admits to being a collaborator. So uh, you get no memoirs about, oh, I was a collaborator. So you go through the source material and you, and you read a lot, and then you try and guess around it what was actually going on. It's an exercise of critical imagination to read what is not being recorded. Yes, and a third group are people with disabilities because the Nazis had a thing about, you know, killing off people Mm -hmm. with disabilities as well. 
And again, the documentation is not huge. There is some, but I, but you have to hunt around. And that would gesture at broader context, because even without the context of the war and the, the rise to power of the National Socialists, disabilities were treated and, and conceived of differently in the past, perhaps, than they were today. Yes, even the way the French today understand disability is not quite the same as the way we in North America understand disability. And in that period, there were differences. So for instance, one of my characters is a girl with cerebral palsy, but they didn't call it cerebral palsy in France at that time. What kind of effort do you make to enter into different attitudes and mindsets of historical people? Do you find that challenging? Uh, yeah, I do. But I mean, again, it's the reading. So the more you read about memoirs from people from that period, then you can apply some of those lessons to the writing. Uh, sometimes they're a word choice, but it's usually more an attitude kind of approach or the yeah. kinds of things that are that they notice in an environment, that kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. And you're drawing attention, I think, to a critical distinction in our research resources, like the, the primary versus secondary sources. So you might be able to find scholarly works examining the past, but the real gold, I think, for, for writers is to find a writer from the past who is speaking to us. There are people who are writing history that happened to them, writing history that happened to someone else, writing fiction that cleaves closely to historical events, and writing fiction where you have invented the events, but they are plausible within the context of that historical reality. We, we, can, we can express this as a range. Yeah, and you're in a different place on that range. Yes, I cleave very closely to events, and I'm blessed because I'm working in a historical period and with historical events that are extremely well documented, that were just meticulously <laughs> documented to the nth degree. People keeping diaries, people keeping official records, medical records, official reports, inquests, and the same characters keep cropping up. And so it's very easy to trace these people through their different activities and to get in an internal view of them in their own writing and an external view from other people's writing. But I am still nevertheless writing fiction. Your story has quite a lot of internal thinking and dialogue. It's not, I mean, you could write even from a fairly external view. I have no interest in that though. That wouldn't be a story for me that would be worth telling me. From how did you stumble across this story and why were you interested in developing this? Uh, well, I was actually doing a scientific project. I was working for a professor writing an article for him about a really interesting fjord ecosystem on the north coast of Ellesmere Island, which you might know is, is our like most northerly island in Canada. It was an ecosystem that has just changed enormously in the past few hundred years. And the records that we rely upon come from scientific expedition that went there in 1875. And from that, we know that it looked entirely different. And so I started to read these historical records and they were fascinating. They were people's journals that they kept while they were going in sledging over these ice sheets that covered the Arctic Ocean. And stories started to emerge. And one of the stories I was most interested in came from a report by the ship surgeon 
on the expedition where he talked about the sled dogs. Uh, he went into great detail about how these dogs were always fighting and they were getting sick. And he, he, he doesn't give them names, but it's very, it, the personalities of the dogs come through very clearly. And that's when I realized that was the story that I wanted to tell. You have to write the bits that actually happened, but then you have this freedom between them. Exactly. Yeah. I, I know what the characters did, but I haven't been told why the characters do what they do. Uh, some of the things the humans did on this expedition were fairly serious blunders that resulted in people's deaths. All that I have is their justification after the fact. And the imaginative work is to understand why they made those mistakes. Uh, here's a question for you. Do you feel, since you are writing very much on that fictional end of the scale that we talked about, what kinds of responsibilities do you feel as an, as an author? So I try to make it as plausible and, you know, close to reality as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that I renege on any of that. Uh, you know, I have visited many of the places and, and I tend to situate my stories, the scenes of my stories into locations where I've actually been. Mm -hmm. so that I have a sense of how things play out in the space. So for instance, there's a scene that takes place in a village in the countryside near Ang Angoulême in France. Mm -hmm. And I visited the village i understand how the different buildings are laid out on the on the on the landscape and i use that in the novel to talk about what happened but of course that's the modern village yeah. but i'm talking about the village in 1942 41 and so i had to use what i could get in terms of documents like maps of the area to get a sense of how many of the modern buildings weren't there at the time and get photos to the extent that I could of some of the buildings so that I get a sense of, of what they looked like in that time period. And also the scene takes place at the borders, what was called the demarcation line, which was the boundary between occupied France and so-called free France, which crisscrossed the countryside across France. And today, when you drive those roads, you see no sign. You see occasionally on a few intersections, you see a tiny little plaque that says the demarcation line passed here. But out of the thousands of places where the lines crossed, you can find maybe I don't know, half a dozen or a dozen of these plaques. Mm -hmm. uh, most roads have nothing. So I, again, got hold of maps from the time and, try, and had to work it out. Where mm -hmm. did the line pass? And then imagine, you know, to, to the extent that you can, because there was, a, there was a German border and a French border, and they were about 100 to 200 meters apart. Like cu customs borders today between Canada and the United States, you pass the Canadian border and then you meet the U.S. border. Well, it was the same thing, but the German and the French had separate borders. I had to work all that out mm -hmm. and guess to some extent. It is interesting to me that they have chosen not to commemorate that line. And I think uh, that 
as we're addressing historical things, there are things that, that people have wished to remember and have recorded. But I think people have also wished to forget some aspects of history. And that some parts of what you're treading on in your story might fall in that zone. Although I have to say it is changing in France. Mm -hmm. uh, between the time I went and now I've seen several reports where they have marked roads that at the time had nothing that now have markers on them. So there's a progressive effort to say, we do need to recover this past history, but they went yeah. through a period where they didn't even want to look at it. Right. And so mm -hmm. the, all of this stuff was erased from the countryside, although it is absolutely fascinating. history. So, so we covered uh, some issues about the history. Of course, when we dip our fingers into these pots, we yeah. all, come out with just a little bit of wet on one finger and <laughs> behind, right? So. There's a whole lot of history and a whole lot of writing about history. Next episode, we have another exciting interview coming up. That's right. So we're going to be interviewing somebody I've gotten to know over the last uh, several years. His name is Marco Morelli, and he's a poet, he's an editor, he's a publisher as well. So it should make a very interesting and lively discussion. He's going to give us some perspective from the other side, from the other side of this divide of writers and editors. <laughs> so we look forward to seeing you next time. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you like what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye.